We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to this episode 181 of the Moose and Runes podcast. Alongside Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso. Matt, uh, plenty to get to today. It is cut and paste uh, bears part of the season where you just kind of know what's coming and it still kind of breaks your heart. And I think I'm over it, as I yeah. said a week ago. I think that I, I haven't been this way about the Bears in about two or three years. I'm sure you can check the tapes and, and find something to refute mm-hmm. that. But the word uh, is creeping, as is apathy. Um, I think that this team is so frustrating, uh, you know, just because of the potential you see on the defensive side of the ball week after week and the inability to score points year after year, week after week quarterback after quarterback, coach after coach, but we will get to that. Most importantly, Matt Rooney, how are you today? Oh, you know, not too bad, hanging in there. Um, I, I, I think I'm with you, though. I, I, you you said, you know, you, you like, who could cares? probably go back why, and Why should I care? I don't, I don't think there is. You said you can go back and, and say you could find tapes on the podcast where you probably said you're getting apathetic, but you don't really know how you feel about the team you're watching until you're actually watching them in the moment. And I can truly say on Monday Night Football, I probably spent as much time, you know, looking back down at my phone, scrolling through Twitter, playing somebody back on words with friends, looking at a TikTok because words I knew wow, I'm, I'm back on words, uh, words with friends kind of repicked up a little bit over quarantine when there wasn't much to do. I was, I was uh, big yeah, early. Back. I was yeah, big early back. on the words with friends. Um, but like, I just I was very indifferent. I just I didn't. I found myself for the most part just not caring because I think like you said early on I mean early on I was trying to pay more attention because I thought that was a game that they might come out it's you know play well against the Vikings this seems like a spot where you know they they play okay and win a game and get you back invested before going back to stinking didn't happen Uh, you kind of tell early they weren't going to be able to do much they had 12 yards of total offense at the 150 mark in the fourth in the fourth quarter uh, in the the second half they finished finished the second half with 40 something uh, yeah, they picked up yeah. like a couple yards on a 18 yard Ryan Null swing pass whatever it doesn't I mean it is what it is same old story nothing's going to change quite honestly until you can change Ryan Pace you could change Matt Nagy but quite honestly you probably need to change the guys all the way up and I'm not talking about the McCaskies I don't think that's going to change but you need a president that actually you know, knows how to hire people, knows how yeah. to run a football organization. And, and, I, I'm over the know, McCaskies thing. That they're not going to sell the team. That's the root. That's the root of the issue. But I think that this team can win games and be a playoff team without um, addressing the root of the issue. I think the three things that need to address that need to be addressed that take this team from being a sub 500 team to an actual NFC contender: quarterback, offensive line, coaching. Yeah, I, I know that I know that Ryan I know that Ryan Pace is the guy that's in charge of making those decisions. But if we're if we're assessing where the problems are that are most directly leading to the on field product, quarterback, offensive line, coaching and play calling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll leave Chuck Pagano out of the conversation because he even got out of his comfort zone a little bit and dialed up some more pressure blitz-wise uh, on Monday night. It, it was refreshing to see. It was a joy to watch that defense play once again. But it was frustrating to have them watch to watch them come to the sideline after taking the ball away or after forcing a three and out or doing what they three were doing. Three plays to try later, and, back out there. 
and they're back out there. And, and we've talked about how that breaks the will of a defense and all the credit in the world to Kyle Fuller, to Khalil Mack to Roquan Smith, to Eddie Jackson, to all of these guys, to Jalen Johnson, guys who are coming, showing up, and showing out week after week, knowing that their offense cannot score points. They're averaging 17 points per game. 17 points per game. You can accidentally score 17 points a game. It's just... They kind of have It's just outwardly unacceptable. Seven of those points, uh, obviously, coming by way of the defensive touchdown... Um, or yeah, coming okay, by way yeah, of the special teams touchdown, excuse me, um, the kickoff return. And say what you want about putting Cordero Patterson in the backfield and handing it off to him, how that's not effective. Be critical of Matt Nagy. Be critical of Bill Lazor. Be critical of this offense for dialing up those plays. Do not be critical of Cordero Patterson because that man gives his heart. That every dude gives everything play, he's got every time he's touching the ball. Whether he's being in being put in a position to succeed or being put into uh, put into a uh, situation where he is undoubtedly going to fail, Cordero Patterson fights for every last yard. And I- I've loved watching him play. He's been one of the silver linings in terms of the Bears having the football in their hands. Uh, I wouldn't even call it offense, but the Bears possessing the, the football. Yes. Uh, Cordero Patterson has been one of the small, small bright spots. Uh, a couple different uh, avenues I want to explore here, Matt, with you. One's Allen Robinson, one's Nick Foles, uh, and one is what you want to see from the Bears moving forward. Let's talk Allen Robinson first because his, his, uh, his agent was critical of the play calling, just as we all were on Twitter uh, on, during the game on Monday night, uh, apparently he was seen throwing his helmet on the sideline a number of times. And at, and at most junctures, I would be critical of the wide receiver not being able to keep his cool in that situation. We've been critical of Allen Robinson earlier in the season when he was begging for uh, an extension early on and mm-hmm. it just wasn't the time or the place. The team was winning. They were undefeated. But right now, I feel for Allen Robinson. I'm with him. I understand where he's coming from. And if I was Allen Robinson, I would not want to be a Chicago Bear. No, I'd want something else. I know this isn't the NBA. I know this isn't the NBA, but I'd walk into whatever office I could walk into and say, get me out of town because I'm too good. I'm too talented to be putting up with this BS, with this play calling that does not target me on third and long, with this play calling that does not target me in the green or the red zone, with this play calling that does not feature me to be the talent that I am. Um, I, I just think that I'd be at my wits end the same way that Allen Robinson is right now. I would be. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's. 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 We've talked about Matt Nagy's inability to get the most out of his players and his offense, and I think Allen Robinson is like Exhibit A there. I mean, he's he's a guy who should be getting targeted twelve times a game. He should be getting targeted most of the times. You have third and seven, third and eight, and not you know, trying to flip one out to the left. Like it's the most underutilized star wide receiver I've seen in quite some time. And it's it's just completely falls on the inability to find a quarterback and to draw up schemes to get your guy open. So it kind of, I don't know why this dovetails this, this direction, but it made me think of the offensive targets. We might have been wrong about Cole Komet. And I'm not saying as a prospect, I'm not saying he's not going to be good, but he's not ready. He ran, He was in the wrong spot numerous times. Even the catch he made in front of Allen Robinson he was in the wrong spot. There, there's a lot of option stuff, a lot of read stuff that a tight end has to sit down, has to be in a certain spot. I don't think Cole Komet's there yet. I think that the reason that Cole Komet has not been on the field is not physicality, it's not ability, 
I don't think he has the mental side of the game. I don't think he's grasping this offense just yet. I think you might be right. Uh, that was the, the was the was an interception in the red zone, or no, it wasn't the interception. They ended up kicking like the twenty three yard field goal, where he's kind of just completely in the wrong spot and kind of caused yeah. Foles to completely overthrow him. I think you might be right, but it, I mean, at this point with where they are, you yeah. just it's, might it's, as well keep trotting them out the, there because this you, the, the, the best way you're going to learn is to learn. That's true. That's true. On the laundry on the list of things, you're not going to contend. On the laundry list of things that are wrong with this offense, he's pretty low down. Uh, let's go up to the top of it and talk about the quarterback play of Nick Foles. Uh, Matt, he's made a fool out of all of us. We were all excited to see him. We all called for the benching of Mitch Trubisky. We all got what we want, and here we are. Uh, Mitch Trubisky starting off the season 3-0, and I believe 2-5 and uh, we've gone since there. Yeah. And, and uh, which McCall, Foles bringing us back against Atlanta had us all feeling good about the possibility of Nick Foles taking the Chicago Bears to the playoffs. But I'll ask it this way, Matt. Is there a starting quarterback in the NFL that you would not take over Nick Foles right now? That a, a starting quarterback in the NFL. That someone who's someone who's, who's starting for a team right now that you would not take over Nick Foles. I'll ask it a different way. Is Nick Foles the worst starting quarterback in the NFL? I mean, the way he's playing right now, you, you have to talk about it. I mean, Garrett Gilbert is the other one that pops into mind. But even he put up a valiant effort at home against the Steelers. Um, yeah, off the top of my head, I'm not sure there's a guy that is looking worse than Nick Foles right now. And granted, the offensive line is absolutely terrible, but you got to be able to, like, I don't know what's going on. You don't need an offensive line to run quick game. I I agree. And, and like, it's just catch the ball and get it out, and he's still, like, backpedaling, throwing off the back foot. I just There was a a red zone look. There was a red zone look where he tried forcing one I think I saw a tweet about this. I see Uh, somebody somebody did. Red zone look with him trying to force one over the middle. He's got a hot read of Cordero Patterson leaking out of the backfield directly where a blitz was coming from. He's got pressure off the right side, which should tell you, I've got man-to-man, and Cordero Patterson's going to be wide open in the flat. All I need to do is dump this one off. Mm -hmm. He might have six if that linebacker can't flow quick enough. Like It's it's simple decision-making just as much as it is his complete lack of athleticism. Yeah, I think that's also the startling thing to me. Like, I knew he wasn't Mitch in terms of athleticism, but, I mean, that guy is, he's more of a statue back there than Tom Brady. Oh, uh, but Tom Brady, Tom Brady, you know, we, Tom call, Brady we call Tom Brady, I'm, we I'm call Tom, Tom Brady a, I, know, I understand what you're saying. We call Tom Brady a statue because he's confident enough to stop his yeah. feet in the pocket. And I said this last week uh, about Nick Foles. Tom Brady's uh, capable of restarting his feet when he needs to move and adjust Nick's and not. feel the pocket. Nick Foles, when he goes dormant, he does not wake until the next summer. Like it, it's it's just like a complete and utter lack of athleticism, lack of a w- pocket awareness. Now, mind you, the pocket's not the greatest thing. It, it, it's not it's nothing to write home about, and oftentimes it is moving before Nick Foles can even set his feet, but. It goes back to the bigger point of who's assessing the talent and who was the person to say Nick Foles will be the guy that will make this team better. Nick Foles will be the guy that will make Mitch Trubisky better if he's in a backup role. Nick Foles will be the guy who can take on that starter role and take us to the playoffs because the rest of this roster indicates we're ready. Whoever assembled the offensive line, 
whoever assembled the or whoever assembled the offensive line, whoever dictates play calling, and whoever identified Nick Foles as a twenty-two million dollar asset to add to this team should be held accountable. And I, I'm not saying that I'm not calling for the firing of everybody involved, even though I did that on Twitter over the weekend because that's what you do on Sundays and Mondays. Yes, of course. Accountability needs to be the letter of the law in Hallis Hall, and it's not right now. Year after year, coaches, GMs, and decision makers get away with things that they should not get away with at Hallis Hall. It's happening again. It cannot continue to happen. If that means firing everybody, fire everybody. If that means finding someone who can make the decisions, if that means trying to convince Theo Epstein that the Mets are not the move and that football is his next venture. Like, that's where I'm Sign at. me up. I'll, I'll give him a shot. A- any fresh ideas. I'm looking for fresh ideas because the ideas that, that, are, that, that are happening right now in Hallis Hall, whatever think tank where this echo chamber where everybody thinks they're a genius, it's not working. No, I, continue to fail. And like you, you brought up the Theo Epstein, uh, the Theo Epstein choice, somewhat in jest, but also somewhat, you know, I, so, somewhat like that could be an option here. And obviously that's a meatball thing. It's like sounds like a meatball thing, a stretch. But when you look at what the Blackhawks did, however many years ago, they didn't, they went out and found the best guy in the city, basically they, that they thought, not even in the city, but the guy they thought knew how to build an organization how to market an organization, and also how to surround himself with people to make the decisions he didn't know about. And I, I, I trust the great leaders, great presidents in sports, that if there's like, if they're running an organization, they're not going to make every single decision without consulting people they don't you know, know and trust, whereas it, it seems like Ted Phillips just kind of doesn't really know how to identify those people. The McCaskies might not really know how to identify those people who know, uh, who are smart enough to tell them what they don't know, I guess, if that makes sense. That makes they complete, clearly don't know how to surround themselves. It makes complete and total sense, and it's the essence of the job. That's, that's the issue. It's, this isn't some ancillary decision-making. This is the essence of your job, and you're failing. The Bears are failing at their job at every level possible in terms of offense. Your quarterback's a failure. Your offensive line's a failure. Both of your play callers are a failure. And your general manager is responsible for those failures. Where do we go from here? Honestly, Joe, like where do we go from here? There's nothing to really do the next six weeks. The trade deadline's passed. There, not that you you know trade much on this yeah. roster anyways. Like, there's honestly not much to be done this, this offseason. You're still kind of locked into a lot of these players because – of the restructuring they did. Now you're still locked into this defense, but I'm not, I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though they are aging, I still think they have a couple of good years left. So you kind of play out these next six weeks. And honestly, I think you kind of hope you go one and five because you want the better draft pick at this point. You're not going to be in a position to draft a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence, but if you're bad enough, if you go six and 10, five and 11, you could be picking anywhere from five to eight and that puts you in a spot for you know one of the the, the next quarterbacks. It puts you in a spot yeah, where but you I actually want to trade up, <laughs> or it puts you in a spot for offensive line. It just puts you in a better spot. So I, I See, think that's if you're the best thi- route. If you're thinking quarterback, I, I understand that. I I still I struggle rooting against my team. I'm not going to root against I them, but I, just, I think long term. I don't picking seven. I don't is think than you have to 14. go. I don't think you have to go one in five to get Mac Jones or Zach. Uh, 
White. Wilson, or, uh, Wilson. Wilson, Wilson, Wilson um, from BYU. Probably I don't right. think you – I think you need to be you do say that. anywhere from 15 to 30. You know, you say that now, but I think the trend we've seen in the last couple of years is people say that now a lot. And then, you know, in – what was it? The, the Darnold draft, there Mar- were four quarterbacks changed. taken by yeah. 12, you know? So, like, not just not just that, that now, but not quarterbacks just that there's in the a... offseason, I, I feel like especially gain more steam having not been on the field. Not not that not just the fact that there's been runs on quarterbacks, but also perception of quarterbacks mm-hmm. change uh, from the last snap that they take to drafting. Baker immensely. and Kyler are both late first round, Baker, early second round picks, and then Kyler, number one. The run that you just mentioned with Allen Rose and Darnold, like mm-hmm. there's every year something surprises us quarterback wise. So yes. to to your point there, um, Matt, I'm done with the Bears for this week at least talking about them. I, I've made my piece. I've said what I can say. Uh, it's just a Very frustrating time a great to be a Chicago sports fan. Uh, we've got the Bears in purgatory. We've got the White Sox hiring a relic. We've got the Cubs parting ways with the architect of their championship. We've got the Blackhawks saying goodbye to a two-time cup uh, winning goaltender. Like, what are, what are the Chicago Sky up to? What are, what are the fire doing? Um, Fire back uh, in Soldier Field. Um, that's, that's cool, you know, I guess. Huge, yeah, huge. Big news. For, uh, I think that already happened. But maybe we look into some season tickets for the pod. I don't know. Maybe maybe just as like as like a, as like a business, we have anyone we as like a business tool. Too? We could write it off. We could write it off. Yeah, yeah. Write it off. We'll take we'll take clients. We'll take future clients to Chicago. We'll fire take games. Mark Shanowski with us. You know it's not good when the most optimism you can have is uh, is in the Chicago Bulls. But that's uh, where I'm still optimistic. I know. We're mad at the Tony Larusa hire, but I'm still very oh, yeah, optimistic yeah, yeah, yeah. about yeah, everything no, no, no. That's, else. I'm just, I'm just, I'm lumping that in with an, a, a bad decision. I that's don't fair. think that bad decision damns that team. Um, nor do I think the, the um, departure of Theo Epstein damns the. Cubs I think from, that's probably the right move for them because, it, like, obviously, yeah, you never fine, want to whatever, say goodbye, right. but it's the end of it. Like, he was going. It's he emotional. Much said yeah. He was going after next year, anyways, and he left. He's leaving now, probably because of a mutual agreement. More like. You know, Jed, Jed's, Jed's, Jed's buddy, and if, if Jed's running the show going forward, why am I the one making all these, these, moves, these franchises? You, know you, these you are, start. This is their biggest offseason since Theo you know? came here. Like, they, yeah. you go your way with this roster. You want to trade yeah, Hobby, trade that. Hobby. You want to trade Bryant, trade. Like, do what you want to do. It's your baby I'm going to get out yeah. of your way. Yeah. Um, we are going to get to some Bulls talk here with our guy Mark Shinowski in just a moment. Fantastic stuff. He was great. On the NBA draft, Bulls expectations, and all things moving forward. Uh, Matt, uh, quarterbacks that one. I appreciate you taking that one and running with it, Matt. But before we get there, we got to give the people some locks. A little update here on the leaderboard. Don't call it a comeback. I mean, we uh, called believe, this comeback. I called this comeback. Like I believe you ago. have lost three straight, and I have won three straight we're on the a heels little bit, but we're fine. of. Um, you're bleeding. I, I, I've bleeding. won three straight. We're, we're both, both five. We're, we're both, both five and five on the season. Can't argue with that. Wipe the slate clean and 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 move forward from here. Um, last week I had the over in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. They almost got there on their own. You had what? Uh, I doesn't, had the doesn't Seahawks. Doesn't matter. It lost. Yeah, uh, lost. Let's move forward with Wait, this. There's something wrong picks. with them. I don't know what's wrong with them. 
both guys at even five and five. Uh, you know, when nothing makes sense to you as a Bears fan, sometimes you have to go against your heart. And that is why this week I am going with Aaron Rodgers and the points. I got it yesterday, Matt, at two and a half. Aaron Rodgers getting two and a half on the road against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I made money betting against the Colts two weeks ago. I'm going to bet against the Colts here anytime you're going to give Aaron Rodgers points. Uh, He's also going to have a full battery of wide receivers back uh, with Alan Lazard being activated from IR. We'll see how much time he gets, but... I just think that the Packers are really good offensively. No, they're not going to be able to run the ball against the Colts. I don't think they're going to have to. Uh, I like Aaron Rodgers getting two and a half. It's one and a half right now. I'll let you make the distinction of where we're going to play it. Let's call it two. No, you're going to call it two and a half or one and a half. Like, why, why are we going to make this confusing? We'll meet in the middle. Okay, we'll call it two. I got the Packers... Lay, uh, getting to against the Indianapolis Colts, sprinkle that money line because I think they're going to win it out. Right? Yeah, I do like that line and I, I do like that pick. It's just I, I, this is more of a personal experience with both of those teams this year. Is they never both teams are very unpredictable. I feel like, like there are certain mm-hmm. games where I thought you know the range cover of outcomes easy, and then they end up losing out. Right? Yeah, which we're going to get to. That was fun. <laughs> um, I am going to go to the college ranks. Uh, this was a team that I I was thinking of taking last week i mentioned that i ended up not i ended up going the pro route i regretted it because they covered easy um when you're struggling joe you just bet on the really good football teams and mm-hmm. the university of cincinnati right now playing in a non-power five conference is a really really good football team um, i got like, them minus five and a half on the road at central florida I, you might okay. laugh at me for saying no that. no no, no, no. I, I, I don't know how that. much you've Cincinnati's watched them. really good that's their quarterback that be the best, it might be the best defense in the their, in in college football their too. quarterback is a dual threat star their defense flies around and has shut down some really good offenses this year yeah. i know they're no, on I the like road i don't really care that they're on the road in you know college for the most part you're the better team and they're on the road during a pandemic which so they're not it's not like a true road game um UCF is not the UCF we're used to. I, I think Cincinnati is just a really, really good football team, and they're going to win this one running away. Cincinnati is like the the human embodiment of the Paul Rudd hot ones gift. The like, who would have thought? Look at us. Look who at us. Thought? Yeah, that's that, that's that's, that's me in Cincinnati right now. Right now. That's All right, so there Cincinnati. are your locks, even at five and five, uh, as we make our way here into the the winning hour, the witching hours. If I could go Scott Hansen for a moment, the witching hours of the uh, NFL year long. Uh, gambling extravaganza that we do, uh, Matt. It, it's it, we always find ourselves here about deadlocked uh, more than more than. I, mean, I think home, each so. of the last three years we've done this, we've had like, <laughs> but we've gone into the <laughs> NFC Championship game tied or like you know, the, with, you know with or down one, whatever. The boys, the boys know how to bring some entertainment uh, at the wagering window. So uh, always. Always wager wisely, and uh, we appreciate you guys for for heeding our advice or fading it either way. But, Matt, as you mentioned, we do have to talk about a Masters champion in the year 2020. Uh, Just a fantastic four days of golf out of Dustin Johnson and out of plenty others. But as golf fans, I I was just – I was moved emotionally. And, and, you know, that's that's the way we are about the game, and we Mm -hmm. might be a little bit on one end of the gamut. But, like – just the scenes, the sights, the the differences even were beautiful. Uh, being able to see Augusta National with no fans on it and the drone shots and some of the footage that they had. Um, being able to recount the ideas of what Tiger did uh, 19 months ago or however long ago it was. Um, and, then, and then watching the number one player in the world go out and golf his ball better than anyone could have in that given circumstance. It was a fantastic exhibition of golf uh, for four days, a tournament that we love. It was different 
but I think it was the best it could have been. I mean, we had yes, I one, would agree with two, that. we had one, two, and three in the world tied for the lead headed into the weekend. What more can you ask for at the Masters? That's never happened at any major. At the end of any round, have one, two, and three in the world been tied for the lead? That's what we got heading into the weekend. It was a fantastic weekend. I was holding a Justin Thomas ticket, so I was pulling for him Saturday and Sunday. Did not Fade materialize. But it almost feels like a Justin Thomas green jacket is imminent. He, his starts have gotten better every year that he's been out there. Uh, I think that he is uh, on the short. He's going to get one of his at some yeah, point. Yeah, the next I'll forward. continue to play him, but there was no denying Dustin Johnson this weekend, Matt. Uh, what impressed you most about Dustin and what impressed you most about the tournaments? Uh, well, for Dustin, we've long said, and we, we've had the, the debate, not even the debate, we've talked on this podcast about how you know, there's a whole lot of great players up at the top, and they kind of take mm-hmm. turns jostling who's the best in the world, who's number one, who's playing the best. Of all of those guys, of all of the top players in golf, I, I think we both kind of said at times, when DJ's at his best, he is the best of all of them, and I think we saw that for the most part this weekend. I, th- I thought he played pretty much lights-out golf, but honestly, the most impressive part for me was early on, he had those back-to-back bogeys, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, we've seen and in the past weathered, before, DJ know? kind of slipping a little bit. And even in the, you know, obviously. Oh, for uh, four in his previous four tries with a 54-hole lead at a major. Yeah, uh, we, we saw even at, uh, what's it, um, the U.S. Open at uh, Oakman a couple years ago, the, the one that he got, like he kind of had that, mm-hmm. the, the early struggles a little bit, ended up overcoming it. Um, the six iron on, what was it, number uh, on the par three after, was it number six after, uh, back-to-back bogeys where he just, or no, it wasn't a six iron, it was number six, where he just kind of stuck it to five feet and drained yeah. the birdie. That to me was Massive. like, that was, and he even said it in the interview, obviously that calmed a lot of nerves, but he was fitting in the narrative of not, you know, living up to that, you know, 54-hole mm-hmm. lead again, and it looked like he was, tr- it was trending towards a, a tight finish for everybody. He just hit a shot, and from there it was an absolute boat race. No one came close again. Yeah, it was a, a fantastic, a fantastic display of golf by Dustin Johnson. What impressed me most about DJ was, you know, say what you want about his prodigious power and, and the distance and the way he can work the ball and his controllability with the, or just like his, just his accuracy with the driver or his ability to hit long irons. Dustin Johnson had one three putt through four days of golf at Augusta National. That's insane. Like, those greens demand so much, and you have one three-putt in four rounds. Yeah, he made two eagles at number two in four rounds. Yeah, he had a uh, a three-shot lead for majority of Sunday. Not three-putting, but once in a Masters. I don't care if there's fans there. I don't care if it's November. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's 100 degrees out or zero degrees out. To do that is unbelievable. And this is a guy who... I don't know, three, maybe four years ago, we were his talking was about his, heel. his putting and back. his chipping being the only thing holding him back. Whatever he's done, he has unlocked a new level to his game, and it's great to see. And then, I mean, the scene after it where uh, we were sitting there wondering, you know, are we going to get emotions out of DJ? Should he mark this six-inch putt so he can have that moment and throw his hands up in the air how Tiger did last year? It, it didn't matter, and we got – the victory DJ hand wave that we thought we were going to get. And then the post round interview with Amanda Balionis, mm-hmm. he breaks down into tears. And that's like a, a perfect parallel for me in seeing Dustin Johnson, take his game to a new height and sort of also take his persona 
to a new height as well. Not that not that this this win illuminates anything differently about him or tells us something we didn't know, but it does show us how much it matters to Dustin Johnson. If you've ever doubted Dustin Johnson's love or will to go out there and practice and be the best in the world, if we thought it was just pure talent, we were wrong. And I and I sometimes did feel that way, that Dustin Johnson had a little John Daly in him, mm-hmm. where if he would spend some more time on the range, he could be the best in the world. I mean, eat crow, because Dustin Johnson cares about this deeply. And, uh, you know, to put a green jacket on 75 miles from where he first swung a club is something special. Yeah, that was always just kind of the rep on him. And he, I, I think he completely silenced any of those doubters that might have still been left that, you know, he absolutely loves the game. And I, he was always kind of the, the party boy who just kind of was playing golf for a paycheck and just wanted to hit the ball far. And you can really tell in that interview kind of how much he's he's grown up a little bit and how much he actually does love the game, how much it means to him. That was... I mean, it's always fun watching those Augusta post-round interviews, but that one was was one that's going to stick out for years to come, I think. And, 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 you know, for as long as Dustin has contended and been in the top 10 of the world golf rankings, he's now 36 years old. Like, he worked his butt off to this point. Um, He went through what he went through. It's well documented. And for him to see the success now, now I believe a 29-time winner on the PGA Tour, two-time major champion. Uh, He's got uh, Oakmont and he's got Augusta. I mean, that's a very uh, a very small fraternity that does yeah. not even include Tiger Woods. And now if he um, just gets St. Andrews, could you imagine? I mean, I, I don't – that's the one I think might be his his bugaboo. That yeah, might that, might, that might be his, kind of tough for him. That might be his Phil's U.S. Open. I, I just don't know if the game matches it. I, I likely will be proven wrong. But I, I see him winning a PGA championship. I see the – Open Championship being the tough one in him trying to effort a, a career Grand Slam, but it would not surprise me by any means. Uh, great on Dustin Johnson, your 2020 Masters champion. Let's talk a little bit about the rest of the field here, Matt. What stood out to you? Obviously, we got to talk about Tiger's 10 at hey, number 12. He followed Sunday. with birdieing five out of six, and though. birdies five out of his last six. And for me, that's just a microcosm of what Tiger Woods is right now. His great is still great. But the consistency level, um, the ability to do it for four days, the ability to match birdies with these guys who can simply turn on a birdie switch, I don't know if it's there anymore. I think that Tiger Woods needs the situation to aid him the way it did in 2019 and he needs to be you know slow and steady as she goes kind of outwit you outsmart you uh play this course smarter than you would that's like that's his angle to victory what i loved out of tiger woods was four days worth of smiles Mm -hmm. he played amazing on thursday um he, he got us excited uh i think that that excitement we need to just enjoy in a one day vacuum because Tiger Woods is at peace. Tiger Woods is enjoying himself. And I think that as Tiger Woods fans, we need to be just as excited about that for him as excited as we are when he wins. And he pretty much said, it, said as much in his post round interview Sunday that like he kind of knows it's, he's more kind of at the mercy of his body now. And he's pretty much just going out enjoying round for round shot for shot. And I, that's fun to see for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, I, you, you're absolutely right, though. We've said it multiple times We've, with him. If he's he needed the situation to set up for him uh, in 2019 at Augusta, and he did, and he won, and that's just going to be the trend going forward. And I, I just I don't think 
playing 26 holes in a day on Friday was ever going to be the right situation for him. Uh, I mean, you could tell kind of it was Friday, Saturday when after he played all that golf in a row, he, like, you could tell the back was off a little bit. You could tell the way yeah. he was bending down to pick up the ball out of the hole that, you know, may, may not be hurting, but, you know, just something wasn't exactly right. And that, that was, for me, that was kind of the tournament when you, when you knew yeah. he had to pay, play 27, 26 in a day. It's not, it's, it's not the situation for him. The, uh, the thing that kind of stood out to me in terms of competition level too, not to discredit the guys that Tiger completely whitewashed for two decades, mm-hmm. um, but the game right now and the depth of talent. I mean, yeah, look there's the more three, star power now. Look at the three guys tied for second place coming into the final round. Abraham Answer, Cam Smith, and who was it? Abe Answer, Cam uh, Smith, Sunjay, Sun, and Sunjay Sun Sun M. Sunjay M. Twenty-two years old and unfazed by any situation. He's now contended at a number of majors. Cam Smith becomes the first player to shoot in the sixties ever in all four rounds of the Masters. No one's ever shot in the 60s all four rounds of the Masters. Cam Smith casually comes about and does it. Like, mm-hmm. the people that you have to usurp to win a major championship right now, far deeper than it was in Tiger's era. Not to discredit anything Tiger did, obviously, because he's responsible for this uh, this depth of talent mm-hmm. on the PGA Tour right now. But it's tough. And, you know, credit to those guys who went out there and golfed their ball, the likes of Smith M, uh, and the others who, who kind of uh, carried that torch all the way through Sunday as best they could. I mean, any other year, if DJ's not playing the way he is, Cam Smith's putting on a green jacket. He's running like, away with it, yeah. There, there's nothing to, to be um, ashamed about in, in that effort. But one guy who's your guy that I need to talk about is my Rory guy? McElroy. That's not my guy. Rory McIlroy, you've always been a Rory guy. No, you've always been a Rory guy. I mean, I'm a so big Rory I've legit guy. I've never been a Rory guy. I thought you've been a Rory no, guy. No, I've never been a Rory I don't right, dislike talk, Rory, but I'm Let's not. talk about my guy. Okay, let's talk about your guy. In majors, since 2015, Rory McIlroy is 31 over par in Thursday rounds. Is that good? From rounds two through four, I believe he's sick. I forget the exact number, but he's like 61 under par. From rounds two through four. He's costing himself major championships. He's costing himself a career grand slam mm-hmm. on Thursdays. I don't know what it is. Um, I think because early on when he won all those majors, he was, I mean, he was head and shoulders above everybody. There wasn't these early rounds. Like, he was locked in. And I, I don't know what it is. Is he yeah, starting to lock just, in early? Is he feeling the pressure? Especially I, I now don't know, but it's it's no longer, the, statist- the statistical data tells us that it's no longer a coincidence and something is going on or not going on on mm-hmm. Thursdays for Rory McIlroy at majors. I, I, I mean, tell me that Augusta doesn't set up for him. Like, tell me that he shouldn't win this tournament, but no, he showed you with each, with Friday, each passing Saturday year, he probably should have. He was each, back and even Sunday. I mean, I know he backdoors the top 10, like garbage time, birdie Rory is always gonna, but I just, I have trouble figuring out what the difference is or what he changes from Thursday and beyond. It's, it's, befuddling right now I, I joe i wish i could answer the question for you I, I really don't know i didn't know i knew he'd struggled early i didn't know it was that bad that that's that you just kind of read to me was alarming but it, you you kind of said it right he's he's kind of the king of garbage time i mean he is he's kind of this almost i don't i don't want to say empty calories birdie kind of guy but he makes these runs once he's kind of already out of it like he was so far out of it that it almost didn't really matter that he was doing what he was doing friday saturday sunday 
Yeah, and perhaps that is the pressure being removed from his shoulders and just mm-hmm. his his identification of, hey, let me go out there and make some birdies, see how big of a check I can cash this week, which all credit to you, that should be your approach when you're out of contention at oh, a yeah. major is let me fire at every pin and see how many birdies I can make. Um, but it's, you know, it's it, it's getting... He's feeling it. I think he's feeling pressure. For me, it's getting to a, is it going to happen at Augusta for Rory? I'm, I'm, I'm a, there now. He's almost been like a different player. I wonder how, how much that times up with that kind of blown lead at Augusta to Spieth, however, what, however many uh, years ago it was. He's yeah. been a little bit of a different player, especially at Augusta. Maybe, I believe. maybe he is squeezing the club a little bit tight early on at Augusta. Maybe he is feeling the pressure because he, I mean, he was not good Thursday. And like, like you've been saying, 31 over par in those Thursday rounds is not good. That's, that's not going to win you anything. No, it is not. And he has a chance to do it 20 weeks from tomorrow. 140 days That's so awesome. from Thursday is the opening round of the 2021 What are odds Masters. of Tiger on that one? Uh, I have not. I looked at okay. the odds the other day. Tiger's deep. Uh, like your odds on, like your odds on favorites. Your odds on favorites here are Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau, both, I believe, going off at 9-1, to one, which... Uh, Should we I, talk I mean, about the 250-pound elephant in the room? You, you, can, you can talk about it because... Or you could just clip what I said in our Masters preview... And pretend like it's me saying it right now, yeah. because it all came to fruition. What no, but Joe, he was he was dizzy. What happens if the driver gets a little loose? He was dizzy. Remember? He what happens if he gets a little dizzy? If it starts going the wrong way, does he have the mental fortitude to withstand? What happen? What happens if he doesn't hit that drive crazy over the corner, and he's got to step up the next day and decide if he wants to bite off as much as he can? Yeah, mm-hmm. we saw some crazy drives that led to a nine iron into. Uh, into number 11, or excuse me, into number, yeah, into number 11. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's novelty, though. If you can't put it together for four days, it doesn't matter. If that driver is not in control, if his, as he likes to put it, if his range of outcomes uh, start broadening, he's not going to contend. Uh, I mean, he had, to, he had to get help to make the weekend and then, ended up get, and then ends up finishing below Bernard Langer. On the that weekend. was wild so, to me. Like, if you that doesn't, the stats, if like, that doesn't tell you something about the range of outcomes for Bryson DeChambeau, it is boom or bust, and this weekend was a bust. No, I think you could tell. I mean, early on, I think it was Thursday. He was one of those seven o'clock tee times. Excuse me, one of the early ones, and you could pretty much assume that from those first couple holes where he was, you know, hitting provisionals, looking for balls out of bounds, that he was kind of. Like kind of, kind of cooked, kind of done. Now, John Rom, I think, had the quote of the uh, the tournament where he was asking about looking. Basically, I forgot the exact quote, but he was ribbing Bryson for how many times he had to go help look look for balls. Uh, the, like, I believe the quote was: um, Someone asked him, uh, "Were you uh, were you assisting?" It was when he lost one in the left rough, the mm-hmm. one that wasn't that bad of a shot that just got like matted down in some crazy rough, and nobody could find it. They had a search party of like twenty five out there. And the reporter asked John Rom. He goes, uh, "John, did you assist in trying to find uh, Bryson's ball?" And Rom just time? says, "Which time?" <laughs> so, like that was kind of a perfect uh, articulation of what the weekend was like for Bryson. Not to again pat myself on the back, but I told you that w- I asked you, "What if the driver gets a little loose?" And I told you, tinkering with a two-inch longer driver four days before the not, biggest not tournament smart. of the year is not what you're that's supposed to be doing. Season. 
And whether or not you can attribute the lack of success with the driver to that, I mean, that's for you to decide. But for me, it's plain and simple. It's a plain and simple yes. Yeah, um, and- I think that that was that that played a big role in it. So maybe he'll have it figured out come April next year, and maybe he will contend. And maybe again, we'll have to talk about uh, uh, you know what the distance issue is in the game. I don't think the fact that Bernard Longer uh, takes down Bryce and says there's no distance issue in, what the on the PGA Tour. I think the I think the distance issue. On the PGA Tour is worse than it's ever been right yeah, now. Yeah, it, it's going to resurface, but they I need think to it, dial the ball back so you can go play Marion for U.S. Open, so you can go to these smaller yeah. historic tracks and still have a, a competitive um, type tournament where guys aren't able to just drive it greenside and uh, try and make a two. Um, I, I but that's another conversation that, for another. Yeah, day. I think which honestly, I think all you saw here is that that's just kind of what Bryson didn't do at Augusta this week. Probably just delays that um, process, whatever. But it's weird because no one's really talking about it. Nobody, I don't think anybody broke Augusta, but and a lot of this had to do with um, the the weather and the condition, the really wet conditions on Thursday that people mm-hmm. were able to go after pins. But I mean, DJ set the Augusta the Masters record for yes, you know low score. He was twenty under. If which, by the way, incredibly impressive and what you know what conditions or not that's incredible set up nicely like, for him but if bryson did what he did. does like if bryson does that i feel like we are having that conversation but I, I just i think for right now it's probably pushed it back and i think you're probably seeing some of the augusta board members um with a little wry smile on their face when when bryson's going left and right not a bounce and looking for his ball probably probably giving it a little bit of a laugh most definitely my uh my parting but, sentiment here for the masters will be a, a tip of the cap and a golf clap to whoever was in charge of putting together the digital platform at masters.com because that is the future of watching golf. You could watch essentially all but three holes at any given moment. Mm -hmm. You could see any corner of that course at any given moment on demand at masters.com. It was, it's the future. It is, I'll reiterate myself. It is the future of golf consumption. And if the PGA RNA, USGA, and any other governing body aren't taking note of what they did and aren't applying that to every major, and in terms of the PGA Tour, every major tournament, not just majors, every big tournament, they're failing us as fans. Like, all credit in the world to Jim Nance and the job he does. I think Nick Faldo is wearing thin on some golf fans and his um, assessment of the game. He doesn't bring – I'm sorry, but like uh, there's only so many times I can hear him go, oh, he's going to take this one away. Lovely. Check. Oh, and look at the left foot and pow. (laughs) Like what? Like give me – give me something. Tell me what you were feeling standing over that shot 80 yards from number 11. Like I don't know. He does does a great job as well. But the idea of linear broadcast, two guys – and then a crew out there calling it, you getting to see one shot at a time. It's just not 2020. Like mm-hmm. you gotta, you gotta force feed shots down golf fans' throats. So yeah, it that's can't just be where this, we're at this right minute now. layoff in between shots. And no, we're watching, and which is like that's what we grew up. Don't like, get me wrong. The TV was like the the big screen was still on the CBS two, broadcast, yeah. the ESPN broadcast. Second screen is a thing now. You like I know. Maybe not for the 65 to 75 demo, but I'd say anyone 50 and younger right now is watching most sports with a second screen, whether that's uh-huh. me having the Bears on and Red Zone on my laptop or something. There needs to be a second screen option for golf, and we found it 
over this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, luckily Augusta has a pretty great partner in that with IBM, and it was it, the last few years has probably just been Fred Ridley, Billy Payne writing down a wish list of what they want on an app and giving it to IBM and saying, "Do this." And it, it is such the antithesis of what Augusta National was a half decade ago, wanting to like like squeeze broadcast windows and make it exclusive to even see the masters Mm. and, and all those, you know, old boys club that, that this tournament was, you know, highlighted by this is come one, come all, we're going to show you everything. You consume it how you want to. I I thought it was fantastic. It was. Uh, I I also, I I said the chairman's names there. I I did want to bring this up because this caught my eye. Did you watch the, uh, the opening ceremony with the, the two, with tee shots? Not live, but I did watch it. You know, for a guy in Fred Ridley, who's the chairman of Augusta National, who's, I, I believe, a very successful attorney, you know, the guy can't not look at note cards without giving a speech. Like, uh, he's out also, there holding note cards at press conferences, note, note cards. It, dude, like, how hard is this? Like, hey, played, we got four-time Masters champion, champion Gary Player. All right, here's six-time Masters champion and a great ambassador to the game, Jack Nicholas. Welcome played, to the uh, 2021 Masters. It's officially underway. He did play football for the University of Georgia, so maybe a little of clanging and banging uh, got the best. Or was well, that Billy yeah. Payne that played at Georgia? I miss. I kind of miss Billy Payne. Okay, now I want you and everyone who's listening to this podcast right now, okay, to go and Homework Google. Assignment. What year was it that that Arnie passed away? Um, it was the first twenty-seven. I think it was the no, twenty-seventeen Masters. It was either twenty-seventeen or twenty-eighteen Masters. Um, Google the opening ceremony for that one. The you won't have a dry eye in the crowd. Because it was the first year oh, he died that... died in 2016. I thought it was much more recent. Yeah, so 2017 Masters was the first year that Arnie was not out there hitting uh, the ceremonial tee ball. Uh-huh. And the words that Billy Payne offered was just... I think we talked about this on the last podcast. Probably. Or I, I talked about it with someone. At some point. It, it's, it's one of the greater speeches I mean, you'll ever hear. You'll ever hear give, like Jack and Gary were trying to hit their tee shots. Oh, yeah. That's when we were talking about this. Or no, we were talking about this. In, so the scene is he gives this moving speech and Jack and Gary Player both have tears in their eyes. The tears in their eyes. They both hit their tee balls. And then Billy Payne says some more nice words about the memory of Arnie and how he'll live through this tournament and this and that. And as he's saying that, Gary's like pushing Jack, being the just, I mean, make of Gary Player what you want, being mm-hmm. who he is. Pushing Jackson, it was a tie. It was a tie. And like they were like, like it was a long drive competition. Like, dude, yeah, crying about Arnie right now. Gary you're being Gary, to, you're trying to flex on Jack Nicklaus. Uh, I don't know, uh, but uh, it was a fantastic tournament. I get so excited about the Masters, and I'm already excited about April because I'm just, just yeah, I'm so happy we got one just around the corner. It's fantastic. Yeah. We're basically lot, there. It's basically the Masters again. A lot of major golf coming up here in the short term. So, uh, golf fans, this is the place to be at the Moose and Moons podcast. But, Matt, let's talk about basketball. Pod. Let's send it to this fantastic interview you did with Mark Shanowski outlining uh, how excited we should be as Bulls fans. We, we highlighted in the podcast, by the way, he, we're asking him kind of what, uh, what, what he's up to now because he's doing socks pre-post work for WGN. He's got a pair of Bulls podcasts uh, with the, with the oh, Barroom Network. He does one with David Schuster called Sharpshooters, which – I'm sure is fantastic. His second one that we talked about a little bit is called "Gimme the Hot Sauce," and it is Mark Janowski <laughs> and Stacey King. Um, oh, that's that's a yeah. Must don't get me wrong; I'll probably tune into both yesterday. of them. But that is a especially now that the Bulls are kind of trending in the right direction. I'm looking for some more Bulls content to consume. That's a must must listen to podcast. He even told a story gave gave our listeners a little bit of a teaser 
of Stacy King's story about his Bulls workout and a uh, head coach, future head coach he may or may not have accidentally thrown an intentional elbow to the mouth at. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's great stuff. He talks about it at the end. He obviously helps us preview the draft and then some possible trade rumors. Great stuff with Mark as always, and he is just much more intelligent on basketball than you and I could ever hope to be. Here he is, Mark fire? We welcome on our, our most reoccurring guest, I think would be the best way to put this, our basketball insider. He's the host of two different podcasts, Gimme the Hot Sauce with Stacey King and Sharpshooters with David Schuster. He knows more Bulls basketball or NBA college basketball than I could ever dream of knowing. He is Mark Schanowski. Mark, thanks for hopping on with us. We're looking forward to talking some NBA draft Bulls offseason with you. Yeah, man, it should be an exciting night with the, the draft coming up this evening as we're taping the show and, and a whole week of transactions crammed into one week. That's a basketball lover's dream. Do we think there's any chance the Bulls somehow figure out to pick seventh again tonight for the fourth consecutive year? <laughs> you know, that's a possibility because Detroit really wants to move up and get a point guard. So, you know, they could offer the Bulls, some, you know, an asset and seventh for the fourth pick. And then, yeah, that'd be the fourth year in a row. That is a possibility. You know, the Bulls are really shrouded with uh, intrigue because Arturis Karnischewicz has done a really good job of not tipping his hand. All, people around the league are trying to guess what are the Bulls going to do. We've heard rumors that they might trade up, they might trade down, they might take a, a small forward, they might take a, a point guard, they might even take a center. So you know, no one really knows what the Bulls are going to do, and I think that, that's kind of the way you have to play it. If there's a team, there's a player that either the Pistons at seven or the Knicks at eight really love, who knows, maybe they'll give you a future number one pick just to move down three mm-hmm. or four spots. And I think given the fact that the player that's available at four might also – you know, the guy you like it for might be about seven or eight. Why not trade down and pick up another asset? Yeah, see, so you mentioned there the poss- you know, all the possibilities, and I think, like you said, all of those are on the table. I don't think it's unlikely to say they'll trade up. It's unlike- not unlikely to say they'll pick it four, not unlikely to say they'll trade down. The rumor that's kind of picking up some steam this morning or seemed to surface and, and have some legs to it was the possibility of the Bulls trading up to number two. Uh, with Golden State, and the, the rumor was number four in Wendell Carter. So if if they end up doing that, do, do you think that's a likely possibility? Would you consider that if you're on either side of the aisle there? And if they do that, is that a, a very clear indicator they're going to go draft James Wiseman? Well, I've kind of made a decision that I'm going to kind of ride with uh, Arturis and Mark Eversley right now. Not that I necessarily would be in favor of that kind of move, but they've had eight months – since they took over to study all these draft prospects backwards and forwards. They've done all kinds of interviews uh, via Zoom with prospects and coaches and scouts and all the rest of it. They've had a chance to work out a couple of the guys over the last few weeks. So they have a very good handle on how these players might fit in a Billy Donovan system and who they think is best going forward. You know, you really have to give them the benefit of the doubt in terms of their evaluation of the returning players. They didn't obviously draft any of these guys. They have no real allegiances to any mm-hmm. of them. If they've decided in their film work that whether it's Wendell Carter Jr. or Zach Levine or Laurie Marketing or anybody else on the roster doesn't really fit with what they want to do and decide to make a trade, I think uh, you know as a media member or as a fan, you kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, listen, they're trying to put together a team that fits their their 
image of what a uh, NBA offense and defense should look like. And if these guys don't fit, you move them along and you bring in somebody that you think might work out better. You know, uh, Billy Donovan has been a winner in his five years at Oklahoma City, had a great college run at Florida, and I think you got to give these guys some confidence. So if they make a trade that looks like maybe uh, you're not, not 100% in favor of it, there's definitely been a lot of thought and planning that's gone on behind it, and I think you have to give them a little bit of time to see if they're, they're visiting can produce a winning basketball team in Chicago. Yeah, you know, it's it's a weird time because you've been texting with friends this morning and, you know, on Twitter talking about, you know, who do you want the Bulls to draft, what do you want them to do, and pretty much the overarching theme, which is really weird to say as a Bulls fan, is everybody seems to trust the guys making the decision. You know, in, in years past, it's kind of been like, okay, how are they going to mess this one up now? They take a guy and you don't really like the pick because you don't really like the guys making the pick, but for the first time in a really long time, it kind of seems like the Bulls have a reason to be optimistic in their decision makers and their leaders. Yeah, I think from a Bulls fan perspective, people just uh, got tired of the whole guard packs era, and it got mm-hmm. to the point where they didn't really have a lot of faith that they would make the best decisions. And, you know, some of that was unfair because I think that uh, Paxton performance did a really good job in the draft for the most part. I thought that, you know, over the last few years, they, they did a good job of managing those number seven picks that we talked about, <laughs> came up with some pretty good players. And I think that, you know, a lot of people criticize the Jimmy Butler trade. And obviously with Jimmy helping Miami get to the finals this year, it makes them look a little bit worse. But they got a pretty good return for a player that they really didn't want to commit to into his early 30s with a Supermax extension. And, you know, whether that was the right or wrong move, they were decisive and they charted a course. And unfortunately, the the rebuild hasn't worked for a variety of reasons or it's been slow to develop. And, you know, going back to your uh, original question about the possibility of moving Wendell Carter, we don't even know who Wendell Carter is right now. Yeah, he hasn't played enough. No, I mean, he's a player at Duke who showed a lot of potential. Remember when he played... For Coach K, he was willing to step out on the baseline, knock down that 15-18 foot jumper. He looked like he had a, a pretty good handle on a low post game. He could make those jump hooks with either hand. He looked like a guy that you know might be able to get you 15 points a game. And then, of course, he was hurt both of his first two seasons in the league, missed almost half the season both years. And in the his second season under Jim Boylan, he basically was a was a non-factor in the offense. They went totally with the analytic model with three-pointers and, and layups, and they didn't want any mid-range stuff. And Wendell got to the point where all he was was a screener, and he never even looked at the basket when he caught the ball, you know, 15 feet away from the basket. And I, I think that Billy Donovan will find a way to bring out the best in his offensive game. I think there's a lot there. He's only 21 years old. You know, he's a guy that uh, can develop further from what we've seen in his first two years. And, you know, I, I, my gut feeling is that the Bulls will hang on to him. The only, the only thing that I would say is if they view either Wiseman or uh, LaMelo Ball as a player that can be a franchise-changing talent, well, then maybe giving up uh, Wendell Carter in four isn't too much. I, I wouldn't do it. But, again, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt if they've identified either one of those guys as an elite talent that, that you've got to do whatever you can to try to bring them into your program. So does that mean, if, you think, if you're talking about LaMelo Ball and James Wiseman, does that mean you think Anthony Edwards is, is kind of the surefire number one pick? Yeah, I think so. Just given the fact that you look at what, what Minnesota has on their roster, and I, I heard their president of basketball operations on a couple of the national shows yesterday saying that, you know, we're going to go for the best talent available and not look to fill a positional need. But when you moved heaven and earth to get D'Angelo Russell last year, who needs the ball in his hands, I don't mm-hmm. really see where a D'Angelo Russell, LaMelo ball backcourt is killed because both guys need the ball in their hands to be effective. And, and I, I would think that there, there definitely could be, a, a, you know, some friction there. 
we've we've we know the story of the Ball family and and how Lavar moved uh, Lamelo all over the place from mm-hmm. a couple of different high schools to Lithuania. Then he played in Australia last year. Uh, you wonder about how he's going to fit into a program, how he's going to adjust to having to coexist with teammates that some of them that have accomplished a lot in the league and. Uh, how he's going to re- be respond to coaching, and and I just think if, if you're Minnesota with with Towns and D'Angelo Russell, I just think that uh, bringing in a, an explosive two guard who can who can create his own shot, like Anthony Edwards, is a much better play than, than bringing in Lamelo Ball and taking the risk that that he could be a problem and, and really cause some disruption in your program. Because remember, they went through that with Jimmy a couple of years ago when he forced a trade, and mm-hmm. that, that really set them back after making playoffs for the first time in like 15 years. They immediately went back into rebuild after they traded Jimmy, and I think they're they're going to really take character into question. And uh, I think I think that that Edwards is, is the likely first pick for the T Wolves. Okay, well then let me kind of re. I guess he's the likely first pick because they kind of have that need. But say you're Mark Shanowski running whatever NBA team, and you have the first overall pick in this draft, and you kind of have needs at point guard, at center, at two guard, whatever. Who are you selecting first overall in this year's NBA draft if you need? if you have needs at all those positions and why? Well, if, if you eliminate positional need, I think you take the risk on ball. I think that this is a, a really a weak draft at the top. You know, the last couple of years, we've seen amazing franchise-changing talents at the top, and we just don't have that this year. This is probably the weakest draft since probably 2013 when the Cavaliers infamously selected Anthony Bennett with the first pick, and he was out of the league a couple of years <laughs> yep. later. And hopefully that won't happen to the team. Number one, because you, you always hope that uh, you know a team that really desperately needs an infusion of talent can find a guy to their program. But it could happen this year where either Lamelo Ball or Wiseman turn turn out to be guys that, for a variety of factors, don't really have a huge impact on their franchise. If it were me, I would take Ball because the game has become so much perimeter based right now, where you need that guy that can initiate offense, who, who can you know we see what Luka Doncic did with Dallas. Mm-hmm. I'm not comparing. Ball to Doncic because I you know I don't think that, that he's anywhere near as good. But you know a six seven point guard similar to Luca who can shoot from deep, who can get into the paint, who can force double teams, really can have a major impact on your offense. I mean look at what Dallas did last year. They were one of the top ranked offenses in the league, and that's because of Luka Doncic and what he could do with the ball in his hands. That's why I would go with Ball, but I would also be very wary because of the fact that. You know, he only played 11 or 12 games this past year professionally in, mm-hmm. in the Australia League before he got hurt. But he shot very poor percentages from the field and from the three-point line. So, you know, he's got a funky form like Lonzo does on his jumper. And, you know, it remains to be seen if he could be a consistent outside shooter. But given the fact that this is not a strong draft, I think I would have to roll the dice on ball and, and hope that the things that he that he can bring in terms of the unique passing ability and uh, ability to make his teammates better is going to really help your program. So then, then how do you think James Wiseman kind of translates to the NBA? Because you mentioned there that obviously it's kind of a it's a guards league now and a ball dominant league perimeter perimeter league. Is a big man like Wiseman worth? that early round pick is it just kind of taking a flyer hoping he develops or what what is the massive upside or intrigue in him if it's you know the nba is going away from the big men a little bit well you know the one guy that he kind of reminds you of if you want to go uh what's the ceiling you know at seven one left-handed the way he the way he goes and and flush balls at the rim kind of reminds me of david robinson 
you know, uh, the Admiral, of course, developed a fantastic uh, offensive game where he could knock down mid-range jumpers. He was very quick and agile, and, you know, David Robinson turned out to be a fantastic NBA player. I don't know that Wiseman will ever come close to that ceiling, but I think if, if you're a team that, that looks at him as a franchise-changing talent, that's the vision that you have. You know, a kid who's 19 years old, who's very athletic at 7'1", who's going to be a, a shot blocker and rebounder from the very outset, you know, right now, as I mentioned, it's a perimeter-based league, and that's based on the Warriors' success with the Splash Brothers, uh, how LeBron James was able to take his teams to championships. You know, it used to be a big man's league, and mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a possibility that if, you know, the Lakers had success with Anthony Davis and, and using Dwight Howard and Javale McGee in the post, and, and that helped them in terms of going big a lot of times, maybe there will be another franchise that decides, you know, we're going to buck the trend and we're going to try to go with size to win championships. And, and then a 7-1 center like Wiseman might be a good fit. You know, if the Bulls did make a trade up and got Wiseman, I wouldn't say, well, they, they really screwed that up. It would just be a different approach at trying to build a successful team. It's You know, there's more than one ways to win basketball games. And right now, the analytics are pushing everybody towards jacking up 30 to 43s every mm-hmm. night. And you, know, you don't have to play that way. It's just that's the trend right now in the league. All right, so you talked about it earlier. You know, the possi- we talked about the possibility of the Bulls moving up, down, staying even. So I'm going to ask you kind of a two-part question here. True or false, after tonight, Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen, Kobe White, Wendell Carter Jr. are, are, are all still Chicago Bulls? You know, I, I think that uh, – I, I don't know about tonight. I think uh, by the trade deadline, I think one of those guys will probably okay. be gone. Yeah, I think that what's going to happen is that uh, they may trade up. You know, they may sacrifice Carter, as we've seen in some of the rumors that are out there right now. They may make a Zach Levine trade before the deadline comes up, which uh, I think they talk, they're talking about having that in uh, in early March now instead of the traditional February deadline because of the season starting later. But I, I think that with a new coaching staff coming in on top of the new front office, I think they'd like to get these guys into training camp let them play 15, 20 games and kind mm-hmm. of get a feel for what they have. I think if you trade uh, Levine or Markkinen right now, you're kind of doing it without really knowing how they're going to fit in a Billy Donovan system. And, you know, the only player that I think has maximum value now is Zach Levine because he's coming off a season where he averaged 25 points a game. Mm-hmm. He's got two more years left on a, on a team-friendly contract. I think that he would have a lot of interest around the league. If you're trading either Carter or Markkinen right now, you know, you're trading for 50 cents on the dollar. I, I just don't think they're, they're really, their trade value is especially high right now. So I think the best bet with those guys is to start the season with them, see how they fit with Billy Donovan. If you get halfway through the year and you feel like, you know, maybe we can do better than that, uh, then, then maybe there's a trade that's out there because the 2021 draft is supposed to be a lot better than this one. So if you could cash in one of those guys for a lottery pick, you know, maybe that's something you do then. I, I think uh, aside from uh, what you – would consider a home run trade for Levine, you might be best off to bring this group to camp and maybe try to rehabilitate the trade value of some of your young guys. All right, so if that's the case and the Bulls do stand pat and they make a pick at number four, who do you think they'll take and who would you take? Well, you know, uh, our friend Casey Johnson, who's all over this, has talked to a lot of people around the league, and he said that uh, the buzz right now is that both Billy Donovan and AK are very enamored with Patrick Williams, the combo forward from Florida State. Now, to me, th- that would be a leap of faith because Patrick Williams did not start one game in his, in his whole season at Florida State, and he was a guy who averaged nine points a game as a college freshman. It reminds me of going back 
way back to 2005 when Marvin Williams was picked number two out of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And he never started a game for them as they went on to win the national championship beating Illinois that year. Um, you know, it would be a leap of faith, but in a draft that is not that great at the top, I think that AK has been very clear in saying that he wants to take the best talent that's on the board. And if they have him rated the highest, again, you know, in AK we trust. But for me, I, I really like a kid from Auburn, Isaac Okoro, who reminds me of Jimmy Butler, 6'6 guy who uh, is a defense-first player who can guard multiple positions. And you remember when Jimmy came out of Marquette, he really didn't have much of an offensive game at all. No, He didn't play at all for Tibbs as a rookie, which, you know, the Bulls had the best record in the league that season. But, you know, initially there were some thoughts that Jimmy would never be an elite NBA player because he couldn't hit jumpers with any consistency. But as he got into the league played three, four seasons, all of a sudden he became an offensive threat. And I think if Okoro can follow that kind of model, he's going to be elite defensively. And I think he also fits exactly what the Bulls need in terms of having a perimeter defensive stopper and a guy who could develop into a threat offensively down the road. So if it were me, I would take Okoro at four. Ideally, if you could trade down to seven or eight and get him there, plus another asset, that'd be even better. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the way you describe him, too, it's not like the Bulls are looking for – the Bulls don't need a guy that's going to come in right now today and step in and be a star. They ha- they have some time to let, you know take a guy that they think has a lot of high upside and then let him develop for a couple of years. Um, but I, I do want to now transition to a, another Bulls rumor that's kind of floating around there. I highly doubt it's all that realistic, but I, I kind of have to ask about it. Uh, was it, I think, Kevin O'Connor uh, over at the right. Ringer? It was, it was talking about the Bulls um, being interested in Kemba Walker and reaching out there. There's other reports that they're pursuing a veteran guard, whether that's the same report, I, I don't really know. What are the possibilities of Kemba Walker being in a Bulls uniform, and what are the possibilities of them making some sort of trade for you know a veteran guard if it's not Kemba Walker? Well, the rumor that O'Connor referenced was when Boston was actively trying to trade for Drew Holiday from the Pelicans, and Mm -hmm. that was going to be a three-way deal where the Bulls were involved, and there would be some combination of draft picks going to New Orleans. So I think that was the context with which the Bulls might have been interested in acquiring Kemba. I don't think there's a straight path for the Bulls and Celtics to pull off a a trade that way. I think Boston would listen to offers on Walker. Remember, they they got him in a sign-and-trade deal with Charlotte last year. He agreed to a four-year contract, and then he's, he had some knee injury issues and was limited in the playoffs. And I, I think that they're a little bit wary of, you know, he's a small guy. He's, he's just turned 30, and I think they're worried about how well he's going to hold up over the life of the contract. Given the fact he's had injury concerns and he's, he's crossed uh, you know the 30-year-old threshold, I think that's a guy that the Bulls would probably want to stay away from. You know, I think that they would be interested in, in getting a, a solid veteran at the point to kind of run the show. But I think given the injury issues that Kemba's had, the fact he's on a max deal, I, I just don't think that's something the Bulls would be seriously interested in. Okay, so with kind of their, their cap situation not being all that open, their roster situation being somewhat full, is there a name out there you could kind of see them going after a, a veteran point guard, a veteran guard to kind of come in and run the show? Because I think they hope Thomas uh, Tomas Sadoransky kind of do that last year. He, he really didn't for the most part. Is there a guy you can see them going out, bringing in, because they're going to have to get creative if they want to bring in you know some outside talent this year, this offseason? Or is this just kind of the group that we're, we're going into 2020, 2021 with? Well, for me, I would I would try to develop Kobe White as as your point guard. You know, he started one game last year at the very end before the, everything was shut down because of the pandemic, and had a really good game against Cleveland. And you know, it's been interesting that uh, I've heard that uh, both Arturus Karnishevis and, and Billy Donovan 
see Kobe White as more of a shooting guard than a point guard. You know, he played point at, at North Carolina, and obviously he's only 20 years old, and I think mm-hmm. he could develop in that area. I know that he was a little bit turnover prone at times in his rookie season with the Bulls. He's more of an instant offense guy than he is your traditional point guard. But the way the league is going right now, a lot of times you've got three guards on the floor, especially during uh, the crunch time. Teams will usually load up with ball handlers and scorers. And I, and I think that Kobe would be fine as, as your lead guard. Um but, you know, if, if they want to go a different route, that's obviously their prerogative. And, and there are a bunch of guys that you could get probably a forward in free agency. You know, uh, the, I've seen the name DJ Augustine. Of course, it was with the Bulls briefly. Mm-hmm. He was playing in Orlando the last couple of years. He might be a guy that fits in, in Billy Donovan's system. Obviously, Rajan Rondo's out there again. I don't think we're going to see a second tour of duty for him. But, you know, there's always veteran point guards that are available that you could bring in. It's just a question of are the Bulls looking for a guy to start or are they looking for a guy to kind of back up Kobe and kind of try to help in his development? That's going to be the decision that they're going to have to make. And there's also the possibility that, you know, they'll go against what we've been hearing lately and draft a point guard like Killian Hayes or Tyrese Halliburton or even the kid from Alabama, Kyra Lewis Jr., if they trade down. There are all kinds of possibilities out there, and with – free agency following right on top of the draft coming up this weekend you know by this time next week we should have a pretty good idea what the the Bulls roster is going to look like all right so I have kind of two quick questions here to wrap things up um going forward obviously they have Otto Porter Jr. on the books this year I think Levine's tied up for you you said two more years it's always important to have one if not two of those max slots going into free agency um, that's obviously not going to happen this year, but 2021 has a pretty good class. Um, what is is there a path for the Bulls having a you know a max slot or two open in the next couple of years? And do we think that they have become a little bit more of a destination now with the change in leadership? Well, I think they're going to have to do what Brooklyn did a couple of years ago, where they surprise everybody by sneaking into a playoff spot, and then all of a sudden free agents look at the the new front office and the new coaching staff and feel like, hey, this is a program that can win. They're in the Eastern Conference, which gives you a better chance to compete for maybe a chance uh, to get to the finals Mm -hmm. in the coming seasons. And and then, you know, you might get a free agent to consider them more seriously. Right now, people look at the situation that the Bulls are so far away from contending status that most guys want to get into a situation where they can get deep into the playoffs, make a deep run, and the Bulls just aren't that team right now. If somehow they could come up with a way where they, they get a playoff spot this year, uh, hit on a draft pick that looks really promising for the future, Kobe White develops, uh, Markinen takes a big step forward this year, then maybe all of a sudden one of the top free agents could see a path to coming to Chicago and maybe having a chance to get to the finals. But it all depends on having some success on the court. Otherwise, I think that the, the, the elite free agents will probably look elsewhere, even though the Bulls will will likely have a max slot once they get Otto Porter Jr. and Chris Felicio off the books next summer. I still can't believe Chris Felicio is on yeah, the books for $8 million. <laughs> oh, that guy's just stealing money. Good for um, him, though, you know? Again, you know, I, I can't fault the guy. He was offered the contract. Yeah, and He sure. probably signed it before they finished the sentence. And that uh, was on the first day of free agency, which was remarkable. I mean, obviously, Gar Foreman thought that some team was going to swoop in and steal Chris Felicio. Let him. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. That, that, that goes down as one of the all-time head scratchers. All right. So last one here. It's a fill-in-the-blank question. It's uh, There's a lot of options, different directions, and I could go for the Bulls. So fill in the blanks here with the blank pick in the 2020 NBA draft, the Chicago Bulls select blank. What do you, you think is going to happen? What's your official prediction? 
Wow, that's you know, this is one of those years where that is almost impossible to answer because there's so many. That's why we're asking it. You're smarter than all of us. You should be able to get this one. Yeah, (laughs) I would say that the Chicago Bulls select Patrick Williams, forward Florida State. Okay, there you there you have it. That's our official prediction. So if that's what Mark's predicting, that's what that's what the Moose and Runes uh, podcast is going to predict as well. Patrick Williams, next great rookie for the Chicago Bulls. Mark, thanks for the time joining us. As, as always, you uh, you taught us and I'm sure our listeners something that we, we definitely didn't know. You, you know a whole lot more about basketball than we do, so it's it's a whole uh, it's a great pleasure to always have you on. We we love having you on talking to you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. And uh, give my best to Joe. Tell him I'm sorry I missed him today. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll let him know that, and we will. Uh, we'll also have our listeners check into the uh, the Sharpshooters podcast and the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. And I'm sure both are great. But uh, you talking with Stacy King about the Bulls seems like must must listen podcast material. Yeah, we, so that's we the one I'm it. for sure going to check into. We just started a few weeks ago, and and people who have watched Bulls basketball know how talented and entertaining and humorous Stacy is. Mm-hmm. Some of the stories that he's told on this podcast are unbelievably funny. He told a story, uh, you know, I, I can give you a little teaser on this. Love it. In our in our second episode, he tells a story about when he was brought in for a workout with the Bulls, and you know, back then. You could do anything you want. You know, you, you could make them run suicides and, and uh, play two-on-two and, and one-on-one full court. I mean, whatever teams wanted to do, they could do with prospects. And so they had Stacy uh, line up against this veteran big man who, who uh, you know, they wanted to bang him around and see if Stacy could handle contact in the post. And it got pretty physical. And, and you know, the guy he was playing against uh, was taking some hard fouls, and Stacy was getting kind of pissed. And Stacy thought it was Dave Corzine, who had just retired from the Bulls as a, as a veteran big man. You know, he had a graying beard and kind of graying hair. And so he, he said that he got tired of him banging on him, so he threw an elbow and caught him right in the face. And the guy kind of went down, and, and they almost had to, you know, almost started a fight. He finds out later that the guy he was playing against was Phil Jackson, who was, then, who was then the assistant coach for Doug Collins. And the story gets even better because, of course, the Bulls drafted Stacy and they fired Doug Collins a couple of weeks later. So Phil Jackson was promoted to head coach, and this was the guy that Stacy elbowed in the mouth during his workout. So, hey, guys, sorry about that one. Yeah, nothing personal. So you wonder at times where, you know, Stacy was kind of on a yo-yo in terms of his playing time. Uh, uh, his, throughout his Bulls career. You know, there was a time where he was kind of split in time with Horace Grant, and then he mm-hmm. kind of lost some of his minutes. So you always wonder if it went back to that workout where he, where he nailed Phil in the face. So there, there are some amazing behind-the-scenes story that Stacy tells. So, you know, check it out You know, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Again, like Matt mentioned, it's called Give Me the Hot Sauce. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's I think, the what makes good podcasts great is obviously the analysis is awesome, but when you have those behind the scenes type stories kind of mixed in that nobody really hears they're hearing for the first time i think that's kind of what puts podcasts over the top so anytime you can get some behind the scenes stories especially about you know those those 90s bulls i think anybody's going to be wanting to listen to those yeah well i I appreciate you guys having me on and and you guys do great work and obviously we encourage everyone to continue to follow you guys every week appreciate it mark and that's going to do it for episode 181 mark thanks for hopping on um guys great Uh, subscribe review on itunes check us out check mark out have a great week and uh let's go bulls may god give you for every storm a rainbow for every tear a smile for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial i swear i've seen a lot of stuff in my life but that was 
awesome. <laughs>